This podcast is from Christian Chapel in Tulsa, Oklahoma. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com. This year during Advent, we're continuing to work our way through the story of Acts. Acts is a book of the New Testament. If you haven't been with us, or maybe haven't been with us in a while, that tells the story of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the church. And what we've seen uh, during Advent this year is that the story of the church is really just the continuing story of Jesus. Today we'll be in Acts chapter 14, we'll start in verse 19, picking up where we left off last week, and we'll see that the, the story of Jesus is always a story of circling back. Um, a, a couple weeks ago, I read an article that was discussing the most hated workplace phrases. Um, so the things that when you hear them at work, it kind of makes your skin crawl. Number one was, let's put a pin in that, um, and number two was, let's circle back, And so uh, it seemed like a wonderful sermon title for an Advent message series then. So nothing else, it will, uh, maybe some of us have some potential PTSD. Maybe you're unfamiliar with that phrase entirely. If you are, um, when you hear, let's circle back, or we're going to circle back, or we are circling back, or circling back to that in in business or at school, it can mean a couple things. Uh, Sometimes, let's circle back to that means uh, you have just brought up something that has nothing to do with what we're currently talking about. So instead of embarrassing you in front of your coworkers, I'm going to say let's circle back to that. Other times it means you have brought up something that I have no intention of ever talking to you about again. But I'll just say let's circle back to that, meaning let's forget this ever happened, right? Sometimes let's circle back means, uh, yeah, that's, that's good and that's valid, but I'm literally never talking to you about that. So let's just circle back. And then there is the, the positive uh, aspect of it where it means, hey, you brought up something good, something that deserves our attention. We maybe don't have time or all the information we need right now, so we're going to circle back to that later and have that further discussion. For our purposes this morning, when we talk about circling back, what we're going to see in Acts chapter 14 is a model of how God circles back to us in seasons of need, seasons of of difficulty, to bring strength and to bring encouragement to us. And what I hope we'll understand is that as God does that for us, through others and through the presence of the Holy Spirit, it's also then a privilege that he presents to us of we get to be people who circle back for the strengthening and the encouragement of others when they find themselves in hard or difficult situations. Uh, But Acts chapter 14 is where we'll be. If you have a Bible, we'll start in verse 19 this morning. So last week, we talked about Paul and Barnabas. They were in a city called Lystra. They were preaching the gospel. God confirmed the message with a supernatural uh, healing. And when that happened, there was a group of people who attributed uh, the supernatural healing to some false gods. Paul and Barnabas refute um, that. They rush into the crowd. They point them back to the true God. And where we left it last week, it was in verse 18 where it said, but even still they had difficulty keeping the people from sacrificing to them. Now in verse 19, what we find is some men showing up from a town in Antioch and a town called Iconium. These are previous cities where Paul and Barnabas have preached the gospel, previous cities where God has confirmed the message with signs and wonders, and previous cities where they have been run out of town by people who disagreed with them. And so verse 19, it says, Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derbe. 
They preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord, in whom they had put their trust. After going through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. From Italia, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Now, I think we would all agree we want God to circle back to us when life is difficult, when we need strength, when we need encouragement. Uh, But the, the part of that that maybe we wish didn't exist is the reason we need God to circle back is because life is difficult. And so Acts, where we are this morning, picks up in verse 19 with the story of Paul being stoned because of his proclamation of the gospel, his belief in Jesus Christ, and his rejection of the false gods that the people of the city were worshiping, in addition to some some opponents who've come from far away simply to continue antagonizing Paul. And so what we find is really Acts is the story of the early church, and the story of the early church is a story of the power and presence of Jesus. It's a story of the Holy Spirit being poured out on all flesh. It's the story of God confirming his message with signs and wonders. It's the story of the church being established in a diverse group of people from all kinds of different cultural and religious backgrounds, all different locations spreading around the known world at the time. And so Acts is is this wonderfully encouraging and uplifting history of the church. It's a description of what happened then, a prescription for what should still be happening now. But Acts is also the realistic story of the church. And the realistic story of the church is there will be wonderful moments. There will be mountaintop experiences. There will be supernatural signs and wonders. There will be people who repent, submit, and surrender to the lordship of Jesus Christ. There will be lives that are made whole. There will be sick that are healed. There will be families that are changed for generations on end. But there will also be difficulty. And what we find this morning is Paul preaches the gospel. God confirms the message of the gospel. And then there are those who rise up, not just in opposition to drive him out of town or to silence him, but this time it says they stone Paul and then they drag him out of the city thinking that he is dead. And so we we can't rush through that too quickly, right? Because it can be easy for us to, to look at this this morning and think, life is difficult. It was difficult for Paul. You know, my life is hard too. Um, I would, I would uh, feel pretty confident saying that none of us have ever been the victim of a stoning at the hands of a mob, right? If you have, please come tell me about that afterwards, because that would be a fascinating story. But what, sometimes, you know, you read stories in the Bible, and you, you just read through those, and they stoned Paul, and you're just like, oh, they stoned Paul, that's too bad. This was an incredibly violent, traumatic experience, Right? Stoning Paul is not like you taking your preschooler out to the playground after church and they throw some pebbles at you. Stoning is men, mostly, picking up stones at least the size of their fists, many of them larger. Some of them are, are two hands that they're picking up, and they are throwing them at him not to chase him out of town, not to cause a little bit of discomfort. They're casting those stones at him in an effort to kill him. They're trying to crush his body. They're trying to crush his skull. They're literally trying to to pelt the life out of him. 
And so it's not just a traumatic experience for Paul, but Barnabas, we assume, is a witness to this event. For some reason, the the crowd, the mob, selects Paul as the object of their violence. Barnabas, it seems, is exempt. There are other believers who would have been there as well who witness this. It says that the, the crowd assaults Paul to the point that they believe he's dead. They don't stop and drag him out of town so that he'll die. They stop and drag him out of town because they think they've already killed him. This is not Paul just having a bad day. This is not Paul just uh, kind of going through some difficult moments. This is an incredibly horrifying experience. And we we can only imagine the the psychological impact that it would have had on Paul, that it would have had on Barnabas, that it would have had on the other believers. And what we find in Acts is we find a story that would have been very convenient for Luke, the author of Acts, to omit. Because if you're trying to convince people to follow Jesus and take the good news of Jesus to everyone everywhere, you probably shouldn't tell stories where you preach the gospel, God confirms the gospel, and the people stone you as a result of it. Right? Like Luke apparently knows nothing about trying to build movements. He knows nothing about trying to inspire people because these are the stories you leave for Paul to tell individually and privately to other mature believers. But Luke puts it right out here for us. And the reason he puts it out there for us is to give us a realistic understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. There will be incredibly powerful moments. There will be supernatural experiences. But as we follow him in a world that is thoroughly corrupted by sin, as we follow him to take back what the enemy has stolen, as we follow him to confront the powers of darkness, there will be pushback. This is what the story of Advent reminds us of as well. When Jesus shows up in the world for every wise man who starts on a journey to worship him, for every shepherd who comes to adore him, there are leaders and rulers and religious leaders and government officials who plot to kill him. Throughout Jesus' ministry, for every blind man who is healed and others who affirm that sign as a, a presence and power of God in that space, there are others who reject and turn away from him. For every person oppressed by evil spirits that Jesus sets free, there are others who look for any explanation they can find to reject his lordship in that season and in that situation. Even at the resurrection of Jesus, when there is physical proof that he is different than every religious leader who has come before, there are immediately religious leaders who rise up and begin sowing lies to discredit the resurrection of Jesus. And so what we find in the ministry of Jesus is that life is difficult. And what we find in the story of the early church is that life is difficult. And yet for many of us, there's still the temptation of, I understand that was the case for Jesus. I understand that was the case in the early church. I understand that is the case for other believers around the world throughout history. I understand that's the case maybe even for other believers in this community today, but for somehow I believe that I am exempt. And I understand that there will be troubles and difficulties and problems, but I just feel like when I follow Jesus, my life will always go up and to the right. And I will know success after success, and my spouse will love me more, and my children will respect me more, and my coworkers will value me more, and my boss will pay me more, and my body will feel healthier than it's ever been, and my finances will be more abundant than they've ever been, and my car will always run, and my dog will never bark, right? And you just kind of have this this dream of like, if I just say yes to Jesus, it's all going to go well. And I wish that was the case. 
Like that's, that's the Advent message I want to preach. Say yes to Jesus and everything's awesome. Say yes to Jesus and everyone else falls in line. Say yes to Jesus and you'll never lose your temper again. Say yes to Jesus and you'll never have to apologize because you'll never do anything wrong the rest of your life. Like everybody would be on that train and the, it's good, but the problem with it is it's just not in the Bible. Instead, it's Jesus himself who tells us in John 15, hey, if the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. It's Jesus who tells us in John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world, you, and that you is, is universal to everyone hearing him that day and universal to everyone who follows him all the way to this day. So I'm in that you and you're in that you. In this world, you, we will have trouble. Then he tells us, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And so what what we need to begin to understand is that when we experience difficulty, when we experience hardship, when we experience suffering or even persecution, it's not proof that God is absent, but it's a space where we're going to experience his presence. What Jesus is teaching us in John 15 and in John 16, what Paul is modeling for us in Acts chapter 14 is life is difficult, but God's people should not be surprised and should not be discouraged. And, and, and so what that means is not that we become people who are just incredibly negative all the time. Right? Like the, the goal of this morning is not for you to leave and think, well, life is terrible, and that's what Advent's all about. Because that's not it. What Advent's all about is the arrival of Jesus in the world. It's God who becomes flesh and makes his dwelling among us. It's the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It's all about God showing up in our lowest moments, in our darkest hours, to lead us into experiences of life and hope and peace and joy. But he shows up in the reality of difficulty, hardship, suffering, persecution, pain, doubts, fears, anxiety, worry grief. He comes into all of it. And so for me, what that means, and for you, what that means is when I experience those things, I should not be surprised because Jesus told me they were happening. And then because I'm not surprised, I also don't have to be discouraged because he didn't just say, hey, in this world, you will have trouble. So suck it up and get over it, right? Jesus wasn't my dad. That was my dad's advice. Like, hey, yeah, dry it up. Quit crying. Let's go. Uh, right? That's, Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. And so where we're finding our comfort and where we're finding our hope and where we're finding our joy is not in the absence of difficulty, but in the presence of Jesus in the middle of it. That's what Advent is all about. Advent is not a God who comes to recreate heaven and earth and draw all of his people out. It's about God coming into the mess, God coming into the sin, God coming into the sickness, God coming into all the ways that we have turned this into a disaster and saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to lead you through it. I'm going to lead you out of it. And I'm going to bring life and hope and joy and peace into every moment of your life. When you begin to fully understand that life is difficult, what you really begin to understand is that there is no season or no situation that can ever exempt you from the power and the presence of Jesus. Right? There's nothing that you have done that can cause him to move away from you. There's nothing that's been done to you that repels him out of your life. But in your darkest hour, he shows up. When it seems as if all hope is lost, he keeps showing up. 
And this is what we see happening for Paul in Acts chapter 14. It, do, it literally does not get any lower than Paul's experience. He's stoned. They believe he's dead. They drag him out of town and they leave him there. And their intention is just to leave him there to rot or until somebody is brave enough to come and bury him. But they think the story is over and they've left him out on the edges. And then what we find in Acts chapter 14 is a a wonderful reminder to us when life is difficult. It says in verse 19, they stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. So at his lowest point, what we want to understand is life is difficult, but in those spaces, we're never alone. And so, so Paul experiences a miracle. It's, it's not explicitly stated in Acts 14, but I think it's said clearly enough that we can understand what's happening. It says they, they stoned him, they drug him out of the city, and they left him for dead, but the, the disciples gathered around him. So the first thing we want to recognize is this is an act of bravery and courage on, behalf, on the part of every disciple who gathers around Paul. Paul's been stoned because of his connection to Jesus Christ. Paul's been left for dead because he preaches the gospel. And now a group of people whose lives have been changed and who have just witnessed the violence of the mob, the moment the mob disperses, they rush in. They don't hide in the shadows. They don't run to their homes. But it says they gathered around Paul. And we don't know if it's for the sake of brevity or maybe Luke is getting some hand cramps as he's starting to write Acts chapter 14, so he just shortens it up. But he just says they got around him and then Paul got up. It doesn't say they picked him up. It doesn't say they carried him back to town. It doesn't say that they nursed his wounds. All it says is Paul, who a moment ago was thought to be dead, suddenly gets up and he walks back into town with the disciples. And then the next day, it says he leaves for Derby, which is a significant distance away. And so what we're left to kind of understand is God has released another supernatural miracle of healing in Paul's body, where even though he's been stoned and he might still bear the marks on his body, God has physically raised him up and strengthened him to the point he walks back into town. And then the next day, he starts out on this long journey. But what we don't want to miss today is not just the supernatural power of God at work in his life, what we want to see is God releases this supernatural power in Paul's lowest moment because other believers gather around him. And so what we're learning is during Advent, it's not just the story of God descending into our darkness. It's not just about Jesus showing up at our lowest hour. It's about Jesus coming and forming for himself a people, a community who continue to do that for each other. The community of Christ is supposed to be a group of people who move towards the hurting, who move towards the abused, who move toward the abandoned, who walk towards those who are suffering, those who are persecuted, those who are in need. We are not to be the group of people who just hope everybody else can get their stuff together and we can all just kind of take care of our own issues. We are people who move toward each other in our moments of need, and as we move toward each other, we become part of God's presence in that situation. See, God's work of supernatural healing in Paul's life was not just the result of the presence of the Father, the love of the Son, or the power of the Holy Spirit. It came as the disciples gathered around. 
For many of us, we have had the experience of others gathering around us in our hour of need. You've been the one who was sick. You've been the one who was grieving. You've been the one who lost the job. You've been the one who wasn't sure what to do as a parent. You've been the one who's suffering because of the choices of someone else. You've been the one battling depression. You've been the one crippled by anxiety. You've been the one that the doctors gave the terrible report to. You've been the one who couldn't drive yourself around anymore. You've been the one who couldn't afford the groceries for your family. And in that moment, God has not only ministered to your spirit, but he has sent other believers to you to minister to your needs. And when that happens, it's an incredibly encouraging experience. Because when life is difficult, that that one of the top lies the enemy is going to tell you is your life is hard and you're all alone. And the reason you're alone is because your life is such a mess, no one wants to be around you. Right? That your depression depresses them. That your grief is too heavy for them. That your sickness isn't something they want any part of. That your marriage is too messy for anyone else to get involved in. That your kids are too far gone. That your parents are too messed up. That your situation is too hopeless. So you might as well just sit there. And as we sit there, tempted to give in to that, those lies of isolation and those lies of loneliness, the body of Christ gathers around us. And as they gather around, their presence is a resounding statement of God's love. Their presence is a resounding statement of God's concern. Their presence refutes the lies of the enemy because how can I be alone when other people keep showing up? How can I be lonely when they keep calling? How can I be forgotten when my phone keeps blowing up? How can I, so as we take our place in community, eventually we'll find ourselves in a point of need where we have to receive that blessing of community. As a pastor, I I get to see a lot of people in a lot of different situations. And so I get to see a lot of you who, who you are the disciples who gather around. You're the ones who move toward others in their hour of need. You're there and you're providing meals and you're making gifts and you're 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 just you're just there. And you keep showing up over and over and over again. And and it's so wonderful and it's so encouraging to see. But on the other side, I also get to have conversations with with those of us who've been in the situation where we're the recipient of that ministry. And when you're the recipient of that ministry, it's an incredibly humbling experience, right? Because there's, there's not really, probably I wouldn't imagine any of us in the room who think, you know what my favorite time of life is? My favorite time of life is when I'm helpless and I'm completely dependent on others. Like there's nothing I love more than being completely incapable of taking care of myself. There's nobody who thinks that, right? If you do, go get counseling because that is not normal and not healthy, and you are wearing everybody out, right? But, but most of us, we're not there. And, and so what happens when we find ourselves in that place of humility where we need to receive the ministry of others, there, there are three common things that I hear from people when they're in the position of the recipient. One, they say, I am amazed by the love I've experienced for my community. Right? As, as others just begin to pour out uh, their, their, their investment and their energy and their provision. The second thing they say is, I am, I'm astounded by how well God has cared for me through my brothers and sisters in Christ. And then the third thing they, they almost always say in one way or another is, and I'm so ready for this season to be over. Right? Like, I, I, I love it and I appreciate it and I am so uncomfortable with it. I just, I just, I'd rather be, everybody wants to be on the other side, 
right? Wouldn't you always rather be the provider? Wouldn't you rather always be the one ministering to someone else? Why? Because from that, it's, it's somewhat of the position of strength. It's somewhat the position of safety and security, but when you're in the position of the recipient, you're in need, and, and you've acknowledged there are some things I can't do, and there are some places I can't act, and all you can do is receive from others. That's where Paul finds himself in Acts chapter 14. I mean, there's, it doesn't seem like there would be a more self-sufficient believer in history than the Apostle Paul. I mean, no offense, but what have you done compared to Paul? Like, like Paul takes the gospel to people who've never heard it. Paul writes half the New Testament. And yet in Acts 14, Paul finds himself in a place where he can literally do nothing. He's hovering at the point between life and death, and he's completely dependent on the body of Christ to gather around him. And as they gather, God releases his power and raises Paul up. And it presents a picture for you and I that, that when life is difficult, again, it's, it's not proof that we are somehow now a burden on our community, but it's a space where now together we're going to experience the presence and the power of God. And as others gather around me, I am going to humbly receive the ministry they offer. And even as I receive it, I'm going to know this season's going to pass. And I'm not going to be here forever. And I'm not going to struggle with this need for the rest of my life. But there's going to come a time that I'm going to get out of the hospital. There's going to come a time that I'm going to get a job. There's going to come a time that the relationship is going to be whole. There's going to come a day that my kids are following Jesus. There's going to come a day where my financial needs are provided for. There's going to come a day where my body is strong again. There will come a day when the depression lifts again. And when that happens, I will move out of the position of the recipient, and I will move back into the circle of those who gather around others to raise them up and lift them up into the experiences that God has for them. And, and that's what we see happening in Acts chapter 14. You keep, keep reading through it, and it says in verse 21, Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And so what we see is this is the example of Paul and Barnabas circling back. Paul has received ministry from others. He has received the encouragement and strengthening of them gathering around him in his moment of need. And so now, out of his difficulty, springs a new desire to be part of God's presence in the lives of others when life is difficult. So I don't know if you caught it, but in verse 21... He's went to Derby, and then in verse 21 it says, Then he returned to Lystra, which is where he'd been stoned, to Iconium, where some of his opponents had come from, and to Antioch, where more opponents had come from. So, so Paul goes back to the place that he was stoned, and then he goes back to the places that sent the people who started the process of stoning him. Again, like, this is why Paul's better than me. One of many reasons. I'm not going back to Lystra. I'm not going back to Iconium unless it's with an army, right? I'm not going back to Antioch except to pray some like Ninevite type prayers for them. Like I'm, I'm not going back to any of those spaces. And yet it says, Paul goes back. Why does he go back? He goes back because he knows he fled from the stoning. He fled from the persecution. He fled from the opponents. But there are believers who are still living in the middle of it. He knows that the difficulty is part of his past, but it's still the present for those that he loves and cares for. 
And so he goes back, and what does he do? He goes back that says to strengthen and encourage. And he does that in a couple ways. First, he strengthens and encourages them by preaching truth to them. And what's his message? We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. Now, again, if I'm in Lystra or Iconium or Antioch, I'd be like, really, Paul? That's what you came back with? You didn't come back with the story of your supernatural healing. You didn't come back with the, he's the God who raises the dead. You didn't come back with faith to move mountains. You didn't come back with any of that. You came back with, hey, just so you guys know, you're going to go through a lot of hardships to get in the kingdom of God. It's not terribly encouraging. And yet, what's Paul doing? He's echoing the words of Jesus so that they're not surprised and they're not discouraged and they're ready to experience the strengthening and encouraging of the Lord in their moment of difficulty. It says that he also appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. And so Paul doesn't just come back and, and preach a message to them. He comes back and begins to establish a system and a structure where people will be continually strengthened and encouraged. What's Paul establishing? He's establishing the church. He's establishing a body of believers with local leadership that will take care and concern and responsibility for others in their suffering, in their distress, and in their need. Today, you and I, we, we are still the beneficiaries of what Paul's doing in Acts chapter 14. We still follow the same model of a local group of believers who gather together for worship, who gather together to submit to the word, who gather together to experience the power of the Holy Spirit, who establish systems and structures so that we're aware of each other's needs and we can care for each other's needs. And more than that, so that we are a local group of people who will continually move toward one another when life is difficult. So that you will never be alone and I will never be alone. And what we see happening in Acts chapter 14 is one of the reasons Paul so quickly circles back to Lystria, Iconium, and Antioch is because he has recently been the recipient of the strengthening and encouragement of other believers. And what God intends to happen is when others gather around you in your lowest moments, it is to bring you out of that, and it is also to help you live with an increased awareness of others who may find themselves in similar situations. And so the, the question we have to ask today is where can I circle back to help someone else, right? As others have lived with an awareness toward me of my need, where can I be aware of the needs that others may have? And what it reminds us of is that when God leads us through a season, when he leads us through a situation, it often results in a heart that is more tender towards those who find themselves in a similar point of need. When you have been humbled by receiving ministry from others, you are most equipped to humbly offer that same ministry to others. Right? You know who I want to come minister to me in my hour of need? I don't want a person to come who has it all together. I don't want a person to come who's never suffered. I don't want someone to come with, hey, here's five quick steps to get you out of this. If somebody comes to me in an hour of suffering and need of grief and loss and they say, hey, if you'll just pray these three prayers, life will be perfect again. Right? I, just get out of here. I don't have any time for you. I don't want your little cheap theology. I don't want your God that can be manipulated and managed. What I, what I want is I want somebody to come who says, I've been there. I've walked through the valley of the shadow of death. And I'm here to tell you, you don't have to fear any evil because God was with me. And he will be with you. Right? It's one thing for me to come up to you in your suffering and say, hey, the scriptures say that God will exchange 
your grief. The joy will come in the morning. It's another thing to say, I've sat where you've sat. I've known that feeling in your stomach when you go to bed at night and you're just praying that you can sleep through the night without being woke up by the grief again. I know that sting of betrayal. I know that pain of loss. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus is with you in all of it. And he's good and he's gracious and he's kind and he's loving. And he knows what it is to be betrayed and he knows what it is to be hurt and he knows what it is to be let down and he knows what it is for the world to crumble apart and he will be with you. And the reason I know is not just because of what the scriptures say, I know because I've been there. And I'm gonna tell you my story and it's gonna resonate and that's what I want, right? I, I, I don't want Captain Kindergarten Theology coming to tell me the rainbows and sunshine will come tomorrow. I want Job Like, Job, come tell me. Even though he slays me, yet will I serve him. Even in the darkest nights of my soul, I'm not going to turn away from him. Even when it seems like the world is against me, I know that God is for me, and I know that God is with me, and I know that he has plans to achieve his glory in my life and in my situation. See, so so when we're asking, where can I circle back? We're not just asking, where can I circle back and just kind of pat somebody on the head and move on with my day? We're asking, where can I move in to the pain of someone else? Where, even at risk to myself, can I walk towards them? I mean, remember the crowd in Acts chapter 14. They're violent, they're angry, they're bloodthirsty. And the moment they disperse, there's this courageous group of disciples who come and gather around Paul. We want to be the disciples who walk towards people in their pain, who walk towards people willing to enter in, willing to be with them, willing to sit, to listen, to pray, to weep, to mourn, to lead, to guide, to provide, whatever God directs us to do. And so when we're asking it, we're not just saying, Lord, where can I go and kind of just you know, pray a quick prayer and move on with my day to feel better about myself? We're saying, God, where have you uniquely equipped me to be part of bringing your life to someone else? As you have circled back, Lord, so many times and brought strength and encouragement to me, where can I be part of that process in someone else's experience today? And so so I want to give you one final way to think about that this morning. Your previous painful experiences will identify some of your opportunities to circle back. So so think about the points of pain that you've had in your life. Think about the the darkest hours, the lowest moments. Think about where, where were you when you began to question, is God here? Is he listening? Does he have a plan? Where was the pain that kept you up at night? Where was the frustration that bubbled over into every experience? Where were the spaces where you doubted and you wondered? Where were the moments where where it just felt as if all of life was falling apart? And as you think about those, what what I hope you find is that in those spaces, God was at work. And if you're thinking about them today and you're thinking, I'm still in them, I hope you find today that God is at work. But the challenge that some of us face is, is we know we have those stories in our history. But when we've moved out of them, we've closed that chapter, we've closed that book, We've put it on a shelf, we've closed the door to the office, and we moved to a house down the street. Because we think, I don't ever want to think of that, talk about that, or revisit it again. And I'm not saying that your story has to become something that you broadcast to everyone everywhere. But I would challenge you this morning, if God was with you in your darkest hour, 
then that's not your story anymore. That becomes his story. His story of his presence, his story of his provision, his story of his salvation, his story of healing, his story of wholeness, his story of restoration, his story of giving back to you all that you thought that you had lost. And in that space, his story is one that someone else needs to hear today. You see, the the problem with the approach of my pain is in my past and I'll never speak of it again is that then you walk into an environment like your home group tonight and you present yourself as someone who's never suffered. You present yourself as someone who's never endured. You present yourself as someone who's never known a need for perseverance. And in thinking that you're presenting yourself as a mature Christian, what you're actually doing is presenting yourself as someone with a very small experience of Jesus. Because he's the one that that you know best and you know most in your darkest hours. And, And so as you begin to tell those stories, what you're doing is not opening old wounds. What you're doing is not trying to expose or embarrass other people. But what you're doing is offering strength and encouragement to others who are suffering today as you suffered yesterday. And as you tell the story of God's provision and you tell the story of God's grace and his mercy, it brings encouragement to them today that what he did for you, he will do for them. And in that space, your story becomes part of his healing. Your presence becomes part of his healing. And together, we begin to experience the circling back ministry of Jesus Christ. What Advent reminds us of is we serve the God who always circles back. Every time we mess up, he circles back to us again to offer forgiveness. Every time we wander away, he circles around the outside to lead us back in. Every time we doubt and every time we question, he circles around us to build faith and hope again. Every time we sin, he circles around us with repentance. The advent of the arrival of Jesus is the story of God circling back. In the Old Testament, we find God establishing a covenant with Abraham that he will create a people for him. And then we find Abraham's descendants doing, it seems like, everything they can to not be the people of God just constantly doing the wrong thing, constantly investing their time and energy in the wrong places. And what's God's response? It's to circle back with Jesus as the perfect and final fulfillment of his covenant with Abraham. You find God establishing a covenant with Moses and he gives them a set of laws and tells them this is where you're gonna live and this is how you're gonna live. And then you find the people who've been called out of Egypt with Moses and what do they do? Generation after generation, it's just exercises in getting it wrong just wandering astray, knowing the right thing and choosing the wrong thing, having righteousness revealed and continually embracing wickedness. And God's response is to send Jesus as the culmination, to circle back as the one who perfectly and finally fulfills all the laws that God had given to Moses. We find God establishing a covenant with David that he will have descendants who sit on the throne forever. And then if you read through David's descendants, you see that they apparently didn't get that message. Because they're a disaster and they make terrible choice after terrible choice and they they kill each other and they engage in all kinds of wickedness and all kinds of sin. And yet God's response to David's covenant is to circle back in Jesus and to say, here's the one who will sit on the throne forever. Here's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Here's the one who will rule and reign in perfection and welcome every man and woman and child into his kingdom. And so during Advent, what we remember is that God has circled back to us in our darkest hours 
to bring us into a relationship with him. And he will continue to do that in each and every one of our lives for as long as we have breath in our bodies. You will never have an experience where God is not circling back with grace and mercy toward you. You will never face a darkness where God is not circling back to shine a light that cannot be extinguished. You will never face a need where God is not circling back to bring provision and direction to you. You'll stand with me this morning. I want to pray for us. The band's going to come back. They'll lead us in a final song. Jesus, we thank you today that during Advent, we get to remember your arrival and the difference it makes. We thank you, Lord, that you are the one who moves towards us in our need, who's aware of all of our weakness, all of our failings, and yet instead of rejecting us, you come to offer grace and mercy, forgiveness, and new life. Jesus, I pray for anyone in the room or online with us today who has not yet surrendered their life to you. They may have all kinds of reasons, excuses, thoughts, or feelings. Today, Lord, I pray that they would begin to see you as the God who has been continually circling back to them their entire life with messages of grace and hope, with offers of peace and acceptance. I pray today, Lord, that they would move from those who know about you to those who walk with you and experience your life and your peace. And Lord, I pray for for those of us today who find ourselves in low seasons relationally, physically, financially, emotionally, Lord, just places where we feel beaten down, we feel isolated. Today, Lord, will you remind us that you are circling back to bring strength and encouragement to us, that you have not forgotten about us, you have not turned away from us, but you are actively working in our situation to achieve your purposes and to reveal your glory. So Lord, we ask today, will you release your gifts of healing? Will you begin to release gifts of provision? Jesus, will you come today and begin to restore the hearts of husbands toward wives and wives toward husbands? Will you come today, Lord, and and our children who are far from you, will you begin to draw them back into a relationship with you? Lord, will you come and continue to restore and renew? Will you come, Lord, and begin to breathe life into old, dead dreams? Will you come and give fresh vision for the future? Will you come, Lord, and fill our hearts with a sense of hope and excitement that you are still leading, you are still guiding, you are still circling back to achieve your purposes in our life today? Jesus, we submit to you, we surrender to you, we recognize our need for you in every moment. And ask today, Lord, that you would reveal your power, strength, and your provision to us once again. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christian Chapel. For more information, visit us online at christianchapel.com.